You're listening to Midlife State of Mind Podcast, hosted by Aaron Beadle and Belinda Fleming, two gals who dish on all the challenges and opportunities that come with this middle section of your life. Each episode, you'll find yourself going between laughter and tears as they cover all the topics you need to know about midlife. Welcome back to Midlife State of Mind. I'm your host, Erin Beadle. And Belinda Fleming. Welcome to today's episode. We're glad to have you tuning in with us each week. Make sure that you've hit that follow button so you never miss out on the latest episodes. And also, if you wouldn't mind giving us a five-star rating and a written review on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, that really helps us grow in the algorithm and reach more people. You can also check us out on our website at midlifestateofmindpodcast.com. You can learn more about Erin and myself, and you can also learn about our upcoming retreat in Italy. It's going to be awesome, so you guys need to come. So today, we are talking about giving, the pros and cons of giving, and how often I think for women, we typically are the givers in any given relationship. Maybe. I I know a lot of women that that giving doesn't come as naturally to them. (laughs) I don't know. I think that's a broad, I I don't know. Research says that when they've done studies, that giving is definitely more done by women. And I'm talking about in all relationships, in intimate relationships. Maybe in intimate relationships, women are more of the givers. And parent-child relationships, I think typically they say that women are more of the givers. Friendships and in work situations, maybe that could be varied. And one of the things that I think that we're not at all in any way saying that giving is bad. Giving is great. It's good for your soul. You know, there's a, a, definitely a serotonin and a dopamine dump when you give of your time or your talents. Belinda and I did a women's build for Habitat for Humanity, and it was one of the best things we did to see our giving in action. Right. Um, and the person that it affected, it was great. But oftentimes when we give and give and give and give and we aren't getting in return, it can lead to resentment. Well, I think that first establishing, are you a giver or are you a taker is a good point to start. And then maybe are there times in your life where you've been a taker and now you're a giver? I could, it could, you know, the script. Well, and there's flipped. nothing wrong with being either or. Like, right. I mean, like, you want, you the want balance. to be both. Yeah. You want to be a giver. You also want to be a taker. I mean, a taker has a negative connotation because, you know, I think we're taught as women that we're taught to, to not take up a lot of space. And, and I've been working the last year because I have a hard time receiving. And we'll talk a little bit more about why people have a hard time receiving. But I've always tried to make myself not take up a lot of space, you know, apologize when I don't really need to apologize. And I've really been, it's interesting in the past year, consciously trying to work on taking up space in the world. So like if I'm just, this is a minor example, but if like, let's say that you and I, Belinda, were in a store coming towards each other, I will be the first to get out of the way like and apologize when even if you're the one that's being a hog. <laughs> and so I've caught myself trying to change that habit of always making myself move out of the way. I mean, I'm not confrontational about it. I'm not aggressive about it. I'm not trying to like get in people's faces except for that one day at the gym, but that's a whole nother story. You'll have to listen to the episode on don't be a Karen. <laughs> I'm trying to be more, take up more space in the world without apologizing, if that makes sense. And so when I was really researching about this, trying to figure out why why is it that some people are givers and some are takers? One of the reasons why people have a hard time receiving is because giving gives you control. And it's almost like giving can be 
an ego thing. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel important. And I know as a parent, many times when my kids were little, I felt like I was the only one that could do everything the way that it needed to be done. Mm -hmm. You know, I made myself too important, if you will. It was like my ego, like, well, I'm the mom. And so I'm the only one that can comfort them or that can do this or can do that. When certainly Jeff, my mom, my sisters who, you know, if I was leaving one of my kids with them were perfectly capable of doing it. But it was almost like a way for me to have that control and kind of feed my ego about, you know, being the mom and I was the most important person in their life. Mm-hmm. Now, would you say being a giver and having that control, that relationship that you're describing right there is strictly for when you're wearing your mom hat? Did you find that in other areas of your life, in other types of relationships, this was also something that was important for you to be the one initiating all of the giving so that you could control everything, even in an intimate relationship? Yes, because or... I'm a control freak. Okay. <laughs> I'm a reformed control freak. I like control. I've always said that. I think because I felt out of control so many times in my life with health things that it gives me a sense of control to, you know, I can be the one behind the scenes orchestrating everything. So therefore I feel in control. It's an illusion. I know that and I'm working on it and I've become less of a control person. Sometimes giving is because it's what society expects of us, right? It's like, oh, the mother or the woman will be the one to give in. She'll be the one to, we're just known as the nurturers. And so we often want to, like, we don't want to buck society's expectations of us. Mm-hmm. So I think that when we receive, if giving is control, then receiving is being vulnerable. And if you have a hard time being vulnerable, because you're basically allowing yourself to be passive and say, I need help. So you're able to receive someone's help in whatever way it is, whether it's through a meal, whether it's through a ride, whether it's with your kids or whatever. So I think that is why people have a harder time receiving sometimes is because they feel vulnerable and they feel passive. There's a couple of reasons why receiving could be hard is it's a defensive against intimacy mm-hmm. because you're able to keep people at arm's length. Sometimes it can be because you're, you have fear of the strings that could be attached to receiving. Like, well, if they do this for me, then I'm going to have to do this for them. You know, it makes it transactional. If you right. Will. Like keeping an account of who's, right. who's giving more, who's taking. It's almost like you're creating a balance sheet in your mind. Yes. And that can't be good. Also, receiving can feel selfish. I think that's one of the things I struggle with is feeling selfish. And then again, that pressure to reciprocate. So you feel like if Mary brings me a meal because I've had surgery, then when Mary gets has surgery, she's going to expect me to bring a meal and I don't want to have to do that. So we've also, if you've been raised in church, you've always heard the Bible verse from Acts that says it's better to give than receive. And we all have been, like you said, conditioned to give back, to support others that are less fortunate than us. And so it does create this expectation of always being a giver. Mm -hmm. So when do we learn to be a gracious receiver How do you think somebody can do that, become a gracious receiver? Yeah, because guess what? I feel like most of the instruction we're given in life is how to be a giver. Right. (laughs) And and there's ways to not be a giver, but how does one become a good receiver? That is an interesting thing to think about because... I guess it's maybe leaning into vulnerability Mm -hmm. and being okay with vulnerability, which you and I were first introduced to that concept of vulnerability from Brene Brown when we went through our first teacher training and we learned about how vulnerability is actually can be a strength. It's not a sign of weakness, which is I think what people equate being vulnerable with is a weakness. 
And so asking, do you have a hard time asking for what you need? No, I feel like I definitely will ask for what I need, but I like to be independent. I like to be able to know that I can take care of myself. Does it make you feel uncomfortable to like receive help Um, in whatever? I mean, like in more intimate relationships, not with like work. I mean, I think beautiful, intimate relationships are about giving and receiving. So I receive graciously and give graciously, I I think. But talking about out in the world and being professional in, you know, the medical field, I have a tendency to give, 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 give. So you like to be very independent because you want to be seen as a strong woman who is leading an organization and you don't want to be perceived as needing, being vulnerable and receiving. Right. And I like to be a charge nurse. And so I have to always be aware of what's happening around me and be in control a lot. So you like to be in control. I definitely do in my professional career and then owning a yoga studio, making all the different decisions. And, but I equally accept that there's a responsibility that comes along with that. And so I may be the person that has to deal with, you know, if we have studio etiquette, I'll give you a perfect example at our studio to arrive at the yoga studio 10 to 15 minutes before class and that we lock the doors to secure the space and we start exactly on time. And there are people who have had a problem with that in the past. They want to give be given an Students. Ex- yes, students want to be given the permission to sneak in late or to have someone come and open the door for them and that everyone has a reason why they're late. And so I've told the yoga teachers, you know, guys, I'm the owner. I made this rule and you don't have to explain it to them. Yeah, you if can they, say if you have an issue, you can email Belinda or call Belinda. Yeah, and so, so equally with that control comes responsibility and accountability. And so I don't take it lightly, if that makes any sense. So I don't relish in controlling everything, but if I'm in control of something, I'm going to take full responsibility for it. Does right. that make sense? Absolutely. Yes, for sure. I'm in a couple of groups on Facebook for midlife women, and one of the ladies was saying how just talking about being a giver and how why I think that women are typically, especially in intimate relationships, there's lots of people that come in there and they give us scenarios like, this is what's going on. What is your advice? And Mm -hmm. sometimes it's about hormones. Sometimes it's about partnerships. So this lady, and she's got an eight and a 10 year old. And she's like, you know, help. I need advice. You know, my husband was out of town. He works out of town. She also works 45 to 50 hours a week and takes care of the eight and the 10 year old while he's traveling each week. Mm -hmm. And her husband had come home and the house was a wreck. And he basically went to a hotel because he was mad at her for not having cleaned it up. And she said, had every intention of having it cleaned by the time he came home. And I'm just sitting there going, I had to like not chime in because I didn't have anything helpful to say Mm. other than you need to kick his ass to the curb and you need to (laughs) divorce him, (laughs) which was not actually probably what she needed to hear. And I'm just sitting there going like, lady, you're working 45 to 50 hours and you're taking care of an eight and a 10 year old while he travels. He's got it way easier. I'm sorry. I know traveling. I'm not trying to say both of them may don't have a hard but and studies have shown women do the lion even if both spouses were what kind of advice was given on this oh well she was getting a lot of people like need a divorce (laughs) there was a lot of women who were saying girl you're already doing it all why are you having him along for the ride you know what does he bring to the table and she's like well he's a good dad I'm like well not if that's the kind of an example he's setting and there were some more moderate answers like you need to have a conversation with him you he, he basically asked her for divorce 
Good grief. So it sounds like a lot more was bubbling under the surface than, well, than just this one incident. But It's happened before, she said, that where he's complained about the house. But I'm like, that's not really what he's complaining about. But to me, I'm sitting there thinking, like, if, if she stayed at home and her primary goal was to be the homemaker, which, I mean, that's such a 1950s term, but domestic engineer, whatever you want to call it now. <laughs> but if that was her main goal was, like, that she was the one that was going to take care of the kids, take them to school every day. And she was the one who was going to make sure the house was clean, the laundry was done, which I did that for 17 years. I'm not balking at I'm not right. saying there's anything wrong with that role. Well, I think the missing link here is that they weren't they weren't in one accord about who's giving and who's receiving and were they sharing and balancing it. It doesn't sound like it was very balanced. What are some ways somebody could manage being an overgiver? I think just setting some boundaries. Yes, so just learning how to say no. boundaries setting and being okay we've talked about this before learning how to say no and just no not giving a backstory of why you can't do something so being comfortable with that another one is an important one is asking for what you do need or want because that's the only way your needs are going to be met yeah you have to be vocal about it you can't expect somebody to know what you're thinking or intuit what you need or want Another way is you can limit your time and energy spent on people who have nothing to offer you in return. And we don't mean that in a transactional like, well, if I do this for Mary, she's going to do this for me. But Jeff and I have a funny show that we've watched in the past about vampires and who are, you know, modern day vampires. But they have one, but they have one vampire in their group, Colin. He's an energy vampire. They call him an EV. Mm -hmm. And he is, he doesn't actually suck their blood, but he sucks energy from people. Don't we all have a friend like that? I know I have some friends that I have to just set boundaries. Yes. And maybe just only be around them in small increments of time because it does feel so one-sided. And draining when you're Um, around them. Yeah. I do think that givers are definitely empathetic and really sometimes don't know when to put their needs above others. But I think the energy suckers that would translate to being more of a taker don't know when to stop taking either. Mm-hmm. So. so how do you set those boundaries? Do you just like, if they call, you just send it to voicemail? I guess I would, if I have a friend that lives locally, then I might just maybe only see them occasionally or just do a phone In call. In short spurts. Yeah. Like, because I meet for coffee. Or... Yeah. I care about them and I want the best for them, but I know that it isn't healthy for me to spend a lot of time because I feel emotionally drained after being around them. I feel like takers are motivated by their ego. I feel like givers are motivated by needing validation, Mm -hmm. right? needing approval or seeking this desire to stroke their own ego. I mean, there's a lot of dynamics about it. I would say it is based on individual situations and individual relationships. If we're talking about intimate relationships, if we're talking about parent-child relationships, or if we're talking about just the friend that we see occasionally, I can't give a, like a black and white answer. Honestly, in parent-child relationships, when they're young, you're giving to them. Absolutely. I mean, they give, they give some when they look at you and say, I love you, Mommy. Most of it is a give relationship in their taking, especially in the first year of life when you're getting up to diapers in the middle of the night and to feed in the middle of the night. They're not giving you anything. That's why babies are so cute. <laughs> because, you know, that's why God made them with those big eyes. And, and that's why puppies are so cute, too. They demand a lot of work and attention. I, and I watched Belinda's puppy for a day the other 
other day and I told my husband, I said, babies and puppies are great when they're borrowed because then you can give them back. <laughs> but exactly. Puppies are so cute because they take a lot of your time and energy. You're giving a lot to them. And What about Enneagrams? Have you done that before? Oh, girl, I am a two. I'm a helper. Okay. 100% I'm a number two. Well, number two is definitely highly empathetic and very caring and continually puts others' needs ahead of them. Yes, every time. I've taken it several times because I'm like, I'm not going to be a two this time. No, I'm always a two. One hundred percent died through and through. Like I well, want to be I, a number three or I need to take it. I've never taken You've it. You've never taken but it. But I know a lot of people just like swear by knowing what their numbers are. Totally. I had my kids do it and it's spot on. Interesting. Had Jeff do it. How long does it take to take the test? So there's different ones online, the free ones, fifteen minutes. Okay. And literally I've taken it no less than ten times thinking I'm gonna get a different answer. <laughs> and I'm always a number two. So it's the helper. I've read a, a really great book. It's the spiritual aspects of the Enneagram because it started as a cat as a Roman Catholic thing. And it's really interesting. And it, I'll actually drop in the show notes, the name of the book, because I'm drawing a blank on it right now, but mm-hmm. it talks about how you end up as that number. And there's like things to consider. There's pros to every number and there's cons to every number. Right. And so it's operating in a healthy way for me as a number two, which is I can be empathetic and give a lot. But then again, I have to guard my energy and I have to guard that I don't start feeling resentment if I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. Well, it's interesting because there are healthy versus unhealthy Enneagram number twos. And that's what made me ask you the question because it talks about specifically practicing mindfulness for personal growth, taking notes for your own feelings about things and continually practicing self-love. It's a process of over and over and over practicing self-love instead of putting everyone else's needs ahead of yours, and then also continually setting healthy boundaries. Yeah, I'm working on it all the time. Yeah, you'll have to do it and let me know what you are. So, well, we thank you guys for tuning in again this week. As always, we love you, and we appreciate each and every one of our listeners. Every time we see that little number of listeners and downloads, it just, I do a little happy dance. And we want to give us a special shout-out to the listeners that are in other countries. It's so exciting to us to see the report every month of where people are in the world that are listening. Yeah, Romania, (laughs) Australia, New Zealand, Indonesia. I mean, sometimes I'm like... Who do I, I'm like, Belinda, do you know anybody in Poland? Because we have a couple of Pol- Polish listeners. And she's like, no. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Well, keep listening. Have a wonderful week. We'll catch you guys next week. Bye. Bye now. This has been an E-Squared production.